So let's go back and let's think about God and his covenantal nature as he makes covenant. This will take us all the way back to the beginning. Jesus said, recorded by John in chapter 5, he made this comment. He said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. When he said this, Jesus was engaged in one of those moments where he was trying to get the Pharisees to understand who he was again. He did this multiple times. In fact, he said just a couple of verses before this one, he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think by studying them that you can have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me in order to have that life that you're after. Jesus said those very scriptures that they are studying are your accusers. For you refuse to believe what Moses said about me. So I got to thinking, I thought, where was it that Moses wrote in the beginning about Jesus? Which led me here to chapter 2 of Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely what? You will surely die. A couple of quick observations here. First, the word that is translated as garden is actually a borrowed word from the Persian language. In English, we just transliterate the word, which they did the same thing in in Hebrew. In other words, they took the word and just didn't really translate it. They just moved it over. And the word that is translated as garden in English is really the word paradise. Pardes back in Persia, what it meant was a king's garden. You see, Adam was placed in a king's garden. And he was given purpose there. The first command that God ever gave has a crystal clear boundary. And if you think about it, this is also the very first covenant that God made because he gave an instruction with parameters. You follow this, everything's good. You don't follow this, what's going to happen? You will surely die. Yes? Now, I want you to note that God made this covenant with Adam before Eve 
ever was. If you go back and you look in Genesis 2, you see that Eve comes after God has given this instruction. See, God clearly communicated his law and its punishment, and therefore Adam, therefore us, are without excuse. Clearly communicated in the Holy Word. Like any criminal, when we choose to disregard his law, we earn the penalty for it. And I point out that this was before Eve to make this point right here. Adam knew right from wrong before Eve came along. Did you hear how that kind of sort of rhymed? (laughs) Easy to remember, right? Adam knew right from wrong before Eve came along. Even before Adam was given dominion over the earth. And in 2.16, it's clear that God gave Adam freedom of choice. He didn't dictate. He just told him what's going to happen depending on what choice you make. Then we come into Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree, any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say, she understood, God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Or you will die. Let me ask you this. How did she know that? She wasn't there when Adam was told. How did she know that? Either there's an unspoken God told her directly or Adam told her. Because he clearly understood the parameters of that first covenant. Of that first instruction. And what does the serpent say? You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Mm. Don't eat of it. You will surely not die. Do you realize that even in that first temptation, that temptation twists the truth? It always does. You see, the serpent introduced doubt, offering a lie to Eve, a lie she wanted to hear, and emphasized benefit without consequence. In fact, breaking God's law always leads to death. Lying destroys relationships. 
It can cost you your job. It can send you to prison. Stealing, same thing. Promiscuous behavior destroys relationships. And it can pass disease between the two partners. And in some cases, pass it on to the offspring. And some of these diseases, we figured out ways to treat them through the years. And some of them, we have not. Friends, we need to teach our children that there are consequences to sin. And then live like we believe it. Amen? Amen. Let's continue. Verse 6. Seem to have lost the video for now. That's okay. Verse 6, starting with, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband. And if you're looking in there, if you've got your Bibles at it, Genesis 3. Oh, good, it's back. Wonderful. Uh. She gave some to her husband. What's the next phrase? Who was with her and he ate it. You ever notice that phrase? He was with her. In other words, the serpent didn't single out Eve and take her off to the side. What he did was tempt her. In the presence of her husband. Guys, we don't like to hear this. But to a large extent, the first sin was not eating the apple. The first sin was Adam not standing up in this moment. Sometimes Eve gets a really bad shrift, but Adam was there. Adam knew the consequences, and he didn't stand up. But why did he go after, why did the serpent go after Eve? Because it's the best way to get to Adam, right? And why did he want to get to Adam? Because it was the best way to get to God. Eve's being the conduit of temptation did not relieve Adam of the responsibility of the consequence of his actions. But let's be honest about this. Temptations are effective because of the pleasure they contain. Eve desired wisdom until she had it. She desired the fruit until she took it into her body and it was something she could not get rid of. We read there. The eyes of both of them were opened, 
and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And Adam and Eve, with their eyes now opened, learned something new. They learned guilt. You ever stop to think about that? That if we, we, we didn't ever sin, then we would never experience guilt, never experience shame. See, shame didn't exist before man sinned. Verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Back in, verse, in chapter 2, the shame came as a result of the guilt. How many millions are spent on self-help psychology books and programs that are trying to get people over guilt? But see, the problem is, is that guilt is not a psychological problem. It is a, it is a spiritual problem. A problem that has plagued mankind since the first time that God's law was transgressed. And friend, there is no drug, there is no program, there is no number of counseling sessions that will get somebody over their guilt. The only thing that works is when we admit our sin and we turn towards God and we let him wipe our slate clean through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. We have to let go of guilt and let God end it. But there's a formula here. Guilt plus shame equals find somebody else to blame. Yes. <laughs> so we have the first game show that's ever created in Genesis 3, 12 through 13. It's the blame game. Adam, she made me do it. Eve, the serpent made me do it. From the beginning of time, since man's eyes were overraised, made famous in Star Wars, right? It's not my fault. And yet, the penalty for breaking God's law has never changed. It is still death. The serpent, you know the story. Part of his punishment was a life of hatred and enmity. The woman, pain and constant struggle with their husbands. I was thinking about this this morning. I had to chuckle. Um, You know, ladies, when you and your husband are having problems because 
you know what to do and he just won't do it? You can thank Eve for that. Man's life changed. Work would no longer be pleasurable and profitable. God will no longer directly provide for his needs. You have to work for them. And every living creature was banned from the Garden of Eden, out of the king's garden, out of paradise, out of the direct presence of himself. Yet before God drove them out, God made one more provision, and here is where I'm headed. This is the point to pay attention to. Verse 21, chapter 3, 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What do we call animal skin when we're using it to make old shoes and clothes and handbags? What do we call that? We call it leather, right? Leather. Animal skin. You see, the first picture of death in Scripture is not Cain and Abel, but God killing an animal to cover the sin of mankind. A sacrifice, if you will. Friends, sin and death go hand in hand. Death, bloodshed, disease, suffering are consequences of sin. And ironically, a sacrifice is needed to cover man's guilt and shame. Hebrews 9.22, you're probably familiar with this. For without the shedding of blood, there is what? There is no forgiveness. And you know from the way... You've taught and you've uh, seen this before. It's talking about that sacrifices that were made in the temple as the writer is also getting us to the point of the sacrifice of Christ, right? Jews believed that sin could not be atoned for. It could only be pushed back by those temple sacrifices in a greater sacrifice was needed because the blood of animals won't do it. And in this short little story, in the beginning, we see God's first commandment and its violation, and we get the first hint of how he was going to solve an unsolvable dilemma for mankind and bring about ultimate forgiveness. The scholars like to call this the proto-euangelion, which is a proto. Proto means, well, you've heard of prototype, right? That's when you make something before you actually start making it, right? So euangelion is actually the Greek word for good news. So this is the proto-good 
news. In other words, this is the good news before the good news. And friend, without the shedding of blood, we cannot be forgiven. We are in our guilt and in our shame. And Moses recorded the first prophecy of the coming of Messiah, the spotless lamb who will take away the sin of the world. You see how this applies to Christmas? The first covenant was broken by Adam. And as we go forward, I'm going to remind you that a covenant is an agreement between two parties. They can either mutually agree on what that agreement is, or one sets the terms and the other either follows them or suffers the consequence. That's the way God makes covenant with us. And we're going to talk about that more over the next couple of weeks. But all scripture, even that very first story, points to God creating and coming and teaching and dying and coming again. This season, we celebrate that first coming some 2,000 years ago. We celebrate because he has been gracious to us and is still extending his grace to all of those who would serve him by putting their faith in Jesus Christ and making him Lord of their life, giving him undisputed possession of everything they are. It is the most important decision you will ever make. Have you made it? And if not, why not? I'd love to talk to you about it. Father God, we thank you that your scripture all the way back to the time of Moses, as he was trying to relate to those that were coming out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery, who had been exposed to all of the gods of Egypt and their pantheon, to bringing them back to an understanding of who you are and how even in those first stories of Genesis, in the beginning, you had already determined how you were going to solve the sin issue. And we thank you, Father, for this time of year, that anticipation of your first coming, and also, Father, for the knowledge that though Christ has died and has risen and he has gone to your right hand, 
We thank you for the knowledge that he is coming back. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.